the reason I, I, I love being a part of coffee industry is that you have so many different people from different backgrounds that quit their jobs they were doing before yeah. and they opened like espresso bars, they started to roast and they used to be lawyers, people working in finance and in tech and education mm-hmm. and they, they bring these, these different perspectives and these experiences to, to coffee. Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry. Sharing their perspective and experience, it's about integrity, quality, and the future. For this episode, we sat down with Michael, founder of the Stand Art Magazine one of the most read coffee magazines in the industry and they're quickly rising to become one of the most relevant media companies around. I've always been very interested in their startup process and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Michael during the VOC in Amsterdam earlier this year. Unfortunately, there is a bit of background noise on this one, but overall is a great conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. So I'm sitting in, or we are sitting uh, in Amsterdam, apartment somewhere down south i'm not sure exactly where um i'm sitting with michael founder of standard a magazine that i'm sure that all of you have read seen uh some capacity um this is going to be a really interesting one because it's the first time we're not necessarily focusing on coffee right good which you are to some extent because that's that's what you do but you're not roasting coffee and you're not running coffee shops, right? Yeah, and I have zero coffee experience. Exactly, which is really interesting. And we're going to go through all of this, get back to this as well. But we're going to start to talk about something that we already talked about on the on the bus ride here to the apartment. And so we're at the world of coffee. That's kind of important as well. Yep. That's why we're in Amsterdam. Happening right now. Yeah, and we just launched this podcast right before so that all of you could listen to it. Uh, before you got here, which has been really cool. And so part of what have happened here, at least for me personally in Amsterdam, is the fact that walking around, a lot of you have come up to me and said, wow, what an amazing podcast. I really like your new product. It looks so cool. And then I asked them, so what, which episode do you like? And they're like, no, I actually haven't listened to it. And I get confused. I get really confused. And I know you've been having a similar experience with, with launching a magazine that is, to be fair, ridiculously beautiful. So you should get a, you know, credit for the fact Thank that you. it looks beautiful. But to some extent, start also from a journalistic perspective here, you know, coffee industry and, and how important and relevant is content? Yep. Do people care about content in this industry? You, you have a magazine that is focused on, on some amazing content. Still, you had that same experience with people looking at the cover, uh, being really happy with it, but not necessarily opening up and, and, and reading it. Yeah, I, I know exactly the, the, the feeling you're, you're describing. And we had this from, like, from the day one when we started. And it started with the, with the first images we, we were posting on Instagram when, like, when the first issue came. And I realized that there is a, there's a certain recipe for the most successful Instagram post and... That's when you, when you put the magazine on a wooden table with a little flower next to it, 
with a with a nice cappuccino with a beautiful latte art, and you have a nice girl reading the magazine with with red polished nails, on the wooden table, and you just snap it from from above. Right from above, yeah, she's like classic. That's it. That's the recipe. Like it's it's a very superficial, very like Instagrammy, very millennial, and this fact that. Uh, People tend to give like too much credit to to beauty. It's I think it's natural because like today you have so many things to look at. Like we are at the world of coffee and like so many different roasters, so many different machines, like so much distraction. So like the aesthetically pleasant things capture your attention very quickly. But uh, there always has to be a balance between the the aesthetic part and the the the, the meaningful part of the content of what you do, whether it's a, it's coffee or a magazine. Sure. But uh, it happened to me quite a few times that people came that, wow, this is a, this is a beautiful magazine. And that's always nice to hear. But when you ask them, like, so like, did you get any value from it? Like, did you read something that changed the way you think, the way you work? Did you learn anything? Oh yeah, I, I actually, I have, I have plans to read it on my plane back home and or I'm planning to buy the issue when I when I get home, but it's I just want to tell you it's beautiful. So um, yeah, it's it's nice to hear, but I get get what you're saying. How does that How does that make you feel? Because I mean, when when I started April, that was right in the kind of everyone was gunning for the best looking packaging because that was kind of you know that's what we did in the roaster world at that at that point. Yeah. And I was so frustrated, so we took a white bag and we printed the beauties on the inside. Kind of like, you know, end of story, we're yeah. not focusing on this shit, we care about the content. Yeah. Which is, it's not completely true, because as you say, there, there's a relevance in, in, in how things look. But how, how important have that been for you? And how, how frustrating is it that people, is it even frustrating that people sometimes value the, the visual aspect of the magazine more than the actual content? Yeah, it is. It might have been frustrating at some point in the past, but it's not frustrating anymore, because uh, I'm I have more of a like a marketing and business background, and I and I I can look at things from like different perspectives, and I can understand this that we like both of us we we do, we often do this even when we don't think about it, like we judge things based on the aesthetics even when we don't realize it. And uh, sometimes or many times happens that when something is beautiful, it attracts the attention and you have a certain conversion rates that from those people that got attracted by the beauty of something will become loyal customers and realize that there is the content of what you do is actually meaningful. That can come later, yeah. Sure. It's, a, it's a funnel, so it's a conversion rate, but yeah. uh, like basic business, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting concept, and and to be fair, I'm also sometimes in situations where where you wish the content would look better, right? Because as you say, that is kind of what it would would caught your um, your attention as well. But when what what kind of came first with with standard with the magazine? Was the idea first to make something really pretty, or was the content the most important part? Or it was. It was the fact I, I lively, I imagined at the moment when I when I got the idea, and I realized that I miss, um, I miss a publication that's executed and done on a specialty level, 
in the specialty coffee industry, like from the production point of view, like in the quality of writing, the quality of the aesthetics, the quality yeah. of the production itself. Yeah. And when I compared this to the when I compared to publications I was often reading to the quality of shops and roasters and uh, espresso bars and everything, I just I just missed it. So uh, I always had this this idea of creating a perfect balance of uh, uh, of, of quality content, same as you have uh, like quality coffee in your shop and content that's that's based on not just the geeky stuff, that's just for like the, the elitist part of, of the coffee industry and like just for the people that are clapping on their shoulders and like, oh yeah, we all understand this and look how pretty we are and uh, with images of uh, wealthy, white, privileged, tattooed kids brewing yeah. coffee with, uh, with sun in the back and the steam and all that. So uh, I wanted like, to put together the content that basically brings the atmosphere of a coffee shop to print. So uh, the same as when you walk into a into a favorite into your favorite coffee shop, you have you have the machine, you have the barista, you have uh, the conversations happening over a cup of coffee between the guests. You have you have some art on the wall. You also have toilets. You also have the waste somewhere in the in the back of the mm. behind the bar. So I wanted to like connect these elements like the art on the wall the machine like the tech things the stories of baristas of people standing behind a bar the conversations happening over coffee that are not necessarily about coffee like they never are and like this somehow bring all of this on paper so that was that was the idea behind the content yeah did you did you have inspiration from elsewhere then if you couldn't find it in in Coffee. Do you have any any kind of magazine now, which is like, yeah, that that's the reference. That's what I'm I'm going for. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a quite a, quite a few of them. Probably the the biggest inspiration is a, is a magazine called Offscreen. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. So the the idea of the magazine is to portray people behind pixels, and uh, so like to bring the stories of people that work mainly in the online world and in digital media or like programming or graphic design and to uh like the the guy who started the magazine kai we don't know each other in person like just through emails but uh he like he makes all the interviews himself like yeah. which are the main part of the content and he often like spends time outside in the park with the people and taking pictures and uh recording really interesting interviews so that kind of magazine was one of our biggest inspiration like on from from the business point of view from like design point of view of like it's really it's really really well done and there was a there was a bunch of others like from mainly architecture design sure so, yeah you said in the in the beginning here that you you're not a coffee guy yeah. right you have no background in coffee whatsoever yeah. so you know the question here is how does a person with no background in coffee get the idea to start a coffee magazine yeah, I mean, I, I've never been a barista. I've never done any courses, so uh, I just made you a, a drip bag coffee. That's For, I would bet it's pretty shitty. We should talk. No, no, we should we should talk about that. What is as a glitch coffee roaster yeah, from Japan? From yeah. Japan, which are a really cool roastery. It's actually pretty good though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, reason why it says good. it might be pretty shitty is that we didn't have any scales or any any fancy stuff. We boiled yeah. some water in a in an yeah. apartment in Amsterdam and poured it on the coffee, right? 
but it's surprisingly good. In, in, in the middle of the brewing process, I realized that I don't have any recipes, so I just put the yeah. right amount of water. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. So, uh, I've never done any courses. Mm. I, uh, I've never worked in a coffee shop. I like to go to coffee shops just to, uh, just because they became this, this third place between your home and your school. So I often just hang around with, uh, with friends. And I realized that coffee can actually have a taste, which was surprising. But wow, it's can taste flavors. Well, was that right? in any special coffee shop or was oh, that yeah. just a random experience? It was, it was one very special coffee shop. It was in, in Prague. Sure. In a, there's a roastery double shot. They have, they have a number of places and, uh, they have uh, a beautiful Kies van der Westen. It's one of the first shops in, uh, in Central Europe. It was a, like, I've never seen the kind of machine before. And uh, I got this very like, thick body espresso. And I, and I, I really remember like, the second I, I just put it to my mouth, like, holy shit, like, what's that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, that was the moment that, that told me that like, I'm in. I, so it, I as, in, as in, in in coffee then, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But then, then was was your version of in coffee always you making a magazine, or could have no. that been something else? Well, I wanted to become a, a part of the industry somehow, and I wanted to contribute to to it in a way. And I didn't want to open up another coffee shop, or a, I didn't want to open up roastery because I'm, I'm not a roaster, and um, so. At that time, I was I was studying and uh, with a with my girlfriend and with a with a bunch of friends, we were organizing TEDx conferences in Slovakia. So I, uh, I was like seventeen, eighteen, like paying all the bills and uh, doing the fundraising and so uh, like meeting people like directors of Google and in, in our country and uh, uh, like like scientists and really like super interesting mix of people. And at all of our events, I always invited uh, friends that, I, that were doing specialty coffee in Slovakia as, as a catering, as a coffee catering. And, and I, liked the, I liked to do events. So I, so I realized that there are no like, solid coffee festivals or coffee events in Slovakia. Mm. So uh, we started to do, we did the first coffee festival in Slovakia and some like small workshops and discussions and yada, yada, yada. And uh, so, yeah, that's how it started. And then another thought came to my mind that um, this is all great, like doing these events and, and meetings because you, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. But the only thing that, that you have after the event is done is the, the invoices you have to pay, but uh, all, you have the reviews, you have the, the photographs and all that. Sure. But you can't you can't touch you can't feel it it's you have the memories right but uh i just didn't feel that i'm i'm like just doing something real so mm. uh and yeah at that, that point i was reading a lot of like solid good well done print magazines like the new yorker and others like off screen and so i just started to play with the thought of creating like this kind of a print in specialty coffee Oh, amazing! And how has what? When did it actually start? So it's uh, three years ago. It's three, three years, years ago, ago and something. Yeah. Amazing. And how how was how was that process? Both as as you know, what was that your first magazine you ever was yeah. a part of, of creating? 
Yes. And, and no background no. educational either. Okay, so no, that's no. amazing. You, you move into coffee without any kind of background in coffee, and then you want to write a magazine about stuff about coffee without any experience of writing a magazine as well. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so how, what's, what's, what's the first step then? Like how do you, how do you actually pull this off? So the, like, the best thing about this that you have, you got no experiences in coffee and, and publishing is that you have, you have no boundaries in your mind. Like you don't know what, like, like this is how you should do it. Or like this is how others do it. You, you have no idea. And you don't even have a lot of resources to spend, so you have to improvise and you have to bootstrap. So uh, we, when we started to, to do that with uh, my girlfriend, she was studying industrial design, which is not graphic design, something completely different to, uh, to what she's doing now. Uh, but um, we just started to play with, with, with softwares and, um, and sorting things on our own. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was very organic process. I like for the first issue, I just reached out to uh, to a few friends that I knew in the country, asking them that hey, would you be willing to uh, like write something or take some pictures or illustrate something? All of them were were happy to help, and I'm super thankful for. So we just uh, somehow put together the first issue. We get the money to uh, to print first one thousand copies. When we sold one thousand copies, we printed fifteen hundred copies. When we print, when we sold fifteen hundred copies, well, very mm. like super like simple and organic way, and uh, we got we got a we got a sponsor for the first issue, uh, which was uh, Chemex. Oh yeah, cool. And that was, like that was to me personally like one of the most important moments of my life when I uh, when I finished the Skype with. Uh, with Adams, the uh, like the director. Of how the how not to interrupt, but how in the world do you convince Chemex, so American based company, um, to 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 give you money for this? Like, what is the pitch? Like, hi, I'm gonna do this magazine about something I never worked with and I never did a magazine, but I want you to give me money. Yeah. How was that? Like, how do you pitch that? It's a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, so I got introduced to to them through a, a friend of. To a friend of mine, and we got this uh, this Skype call that took two hours, and to Adams he needed to run because the the paper filter machine got broken, and he needed to fix everything, and it was a it was a really cool conversation, and uh, oh, just throwing around the ideas that this is the this is the vision, this is what we want to do, this is how we start, uh, like the first issue is coming out in in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months, and then I described them the fact that we are not putting a lot of advertisements inside, we don't like put like huge and bad brands that we don't like and use ourselves. It's just a very like curated approach to, to brand collaborations. So I was describing this whole philosophy for ages. And, uh, and then I told him that as the exclusive sponsor, they get the, uh, they get the feature inside as a, like about Chemex, about the history, design, whatever whatever they want, so they, if they pay for the sponsorship, they get the feature inside. But at that moment, we already had that feature written and all the shots taken. Oh wow, yeah. So I, I told them that like, well, if you become the sponsor, you'll pay the money and you'll get the feature. And if you will not, 
well, probably the same feature anyway. <laughs> <We're gonna do laughs> because anyway. we yeah, we already we already made it for you, and it's already done. You just need to sign the paper. And he was wow. like, "Yeah, let's, let's do it." Like we haven't advertised in the last eighteen years because you know we're Chemex and we don't need to advertise anywhere because everyone knows us already. But uh, yeah, we're happy to be a part of it. And that was the moment when I was like, "Whoa." They don't need this sure. at all. Like, why would they do it? And it was, it was a, it was a good push, like for the company itself, because we got the, it was like a small amount of money just to we got, we were able to cover like some costs. But the but the best part was the psychological push that yeah. if these guys trust into what we do, it's probably not a, such a stupid idea. Sure. So um, yeah, that was that was a very important meeting to me. <laughs> that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, okay, so you launched the first. Um, that goes well. You buy more, you sell more. Um, on, on the kind of subject of, you know, learning, making it better. I've, I've read most of them. I think I've read all of them. There, there's a huge difference from, from number one and then mm-hmm. the current issue, right? Um, how has that kind of process been and what are you... Um, what do you want it to be? What do you want Standard as a magazine to be? Yeah, it's um. You're right. Like it, it changed a lot from yeah. the from the day one. Uh, at the at the very beginning, I was, I got this uh, very, uh, how do you, how do, how do you describe that? This uh, this feeling that you're the founder, so you have to do everything, and you know the best, like all the processes. You yeah. know that feeling. But then I realized that if we wanna. If you want to do a truly international publication for like the U.S. market or the U.K. market, I can't write the pieces. I can't be the like the only editor in the team because I'm I'm not native and I and I can't write. I I'm, even though like we are going to print in a few days and, I, and not even my edit's letter is finished. Like yeah. it's it's I'm so bad at this. So uh, I knew that we like we had to we have to change this rapidly, and have someone in the team who's uh, who's capable of of pushing this to another level. So uh, we have this like totally random meeting with um, uh, with this guy, Luke Adams, in in London. He's Australian, but he he's been living in Oxford for a while, and uh, he he basically told me that um, what you do the magazine the publication is is great for for what it is. But it can be much better. Like the, the, I can I can also see the potential, but from the from the language perspective, someone should help you. And if you need any help, I'm I'm happy to help. And uh, he's a he's a super smart person, highly intelligent. He studied Victorian literature at Oxford. So uh, if if he wants to, he can speak the way that I have no idea what he's talking about. Sure. So he took over all the relationships with uh, with writers and um, like content production. So uh, we got to we got to work with a lot of people that write for New York Times and The Atlantic or like academics like academics and uh, scientists. But the but the idea of like having the the content mixed between things uh, things aimed for coffee geeks and uh, professionals and. Uh, homebrewers and, and enthusiasts like this idea of this perfect balance is still there sometimes we we can get a little too philosophical sometimes not but uh, 
we always try to keep the balance. Yeah, which which must be a difficult thing to do as well, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm always being being curious, um, and this kind of dates back to something that that James Hoffman said on this podcast as well, whereas he's been blogging for like several years. And he basically told me like, yeah, no, 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 it's all video now. No one reads anymore. Um, how, how is that kind of, it's, first of all, from your perspective, is that true? Doesn't people read anymore? And how is that kind of affecting the, the, the future of Standard as a, as a company, uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a magazine? You guys are launching a new website as yep. well. Uh, and I assume there's a few new features that comes with that as well. Yeah, that's a... That's a good question. Uh, like first of all, reading itself as an activity, it's n- it's not natural like for for mankind because it's yeah. it's just a thing of of the last couple centuries. But it's when you look at like thousands, like, like tens of thousands of years back, it's not natural for uh, like a Homo sapiens to uh, to read things on paper. But I still believe that especially stories written on paper put together in a in a format that's that's like digestible and uh it just it has its it has a certain charm when you're when you're sitting in a room where with all your electronic devices turned off just with your lamp and with a cup of coffee and with something you 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 feel in your hands and you you, you read a story of of someone on the other side of the world like when I have these moments, I can feel like a very strong connection with that story and with that with that moment I'm in right now, mm. and especially today when all things go digital and you get notifications the whole time, you get the Instagram likes, you get the hearts, you get the messages, mom is calling you. It's like all the time something's happening in your phone, in your computer, and I just I just can't pay any attention anymore. Mm. And even I, I'm a big fan of videos, and I'm I'm a I'm I'm a huge fan of of vloggers and doing vlogging. Mm. Uh, I often like I often finish after one or two minutes because like I got an email. I it's it was in the middle of the day. I realized I have to do something else. So, uh, yeah. But when I when I read a book or uh, when I read the magazine, like those are really the moments where I can truly just just turn off for a while, and mm. it's something that will that will last to like to me and like hopefully to some other people in the future on on the same kind of note and I know we talked about this um, again on the way here but I'm fascinated often when from from the perspective of starting a company or starting a business or or starting any kind of thing really uh, how much of of standard because I believe there needs to be a balance How, how much of this is for you versus for someone else in order to, to, to make money, right? You always mm-hmm. end up in a situation where there's a balance here, right? Whereas you as a founder has, has a passion and interest, a willingness to do something uh, versus you also need to pay bills and to some extent you need to meet in the middle uh, to kind of find a ground where yeah. you can follow your passion but you can also pay, pay your bills, right? Yeah. Um, and, and on that same kind of subject of, let's say people would stop to read, would you still continue to push this because you believe that that's important and there's still people in the world that would want to read even if it wouldn't be enough to sustain, in that sense? Uh, 
I would say that like if I get a question like what I am as a person passionate about is not making coffee magazine making print independent print coffee magazines um I really like like strategic thinking business marketing I, I like doing projects I like joining projects and working mm. with uh, different people building teams and uh, figuring out problems so uh, if if suddenly we stop telling readers and we would need to switch like the direction we would need to pivot yeah we could do so very easily because uh, well I at least I hope so because the one of one of the, one of my ideas of like how to how to build a strong core team is to is to surround yourself with people just just with the A players of course but with highly intelligent and flexible people that's if they if, if you tell them like a Monday morning that hey guys like we have this or that problem mm. or we have this or that idea and we want to switch the direction like from specialty coffee to I don't know cocktails or we want to do this project I wanted to build a team that when I when I tell them that there is a huge change in direction I'm able to like take them with me and do anything I want yeah. and anything we want to do together mm. and they will be they can switch like from hour to hour and be like yeah let's let's do it so uh, even if such a situation will occur and yeah, we have a lot of projects piled up that we, we want to do in the, in the near future, I, uh, yeah, I'll be totally okay to, to do that. Oh, amazing. I think there's very few people that would, that would sit here or, or in any conversation and, and probably say that. But I think it's also really, uh, I often end up in discussions about this where there, there's a big difference between uh, what, what you need to do and what you want to do. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people oh, yeah. starting a company, they are locked into the idea that I need to do this because I mm -hmm. need to have this company and to be able to have this company I need to do the following things right which yes. is, is uh, always wrong mm -hmm. always wrong because mm -hmm. you don't need this company mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. the company should be there because you want to have it yeah. right yeah. and there's so many people that goes down that kind of path or road ending up doing things they don't want to do yeah because they think they need to do it Right? So it's, it's extremely liberating to hear that someone is actually like, no, like, we can do something else, right? Because yeah. you can. And I think there's a strength in being flexible as a company. And I think that most companies aren't. And that's today why most companies within this industry, within coffee, is, is failing as well, yeah. sadly. But yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you, on from the business side of this, like... Give us an insight, like how does the, the kind of infrastructure of standard look like? How many people are you guys? Uh, how many different languages? Like you guys are, it's growing, right? It's getting bigger. It is. Like the, 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 the team is still fairly small and I'm still far, far away from uh, having the core team of, of us being perfect. But uh, like today there is seven of us. We live in, uh, we live in I think, six different countries and uh, five, six different time zones, so uh, it's all like fully remote. So we, we don't like, we just look at each other from behind the screen. We, we got to meet together like once or twice uh, when we travel somewhere uh -huh. and uh, like we, we spent a week in the woods or we go to, uh, we went to Brooklyn, we, we rented a place and we, uh, we spent some time just brainstorming and the, the whole coffee. The whole team, so also yeah, all seven. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, when we when we travel to to World of Coffee or or similar events, well, there was always like two of us or three of us that uh, that we can get together. So uh, so yeah, the the infrastructure it's it's spread out. We um, we outsource a lot of things. We uh, we have warehouses in in Berlin, Tokyo, and uh, in Moscow. So uh, we have different fulfillment companies that we work with. We have three different printers in uh, in Hong Kong, Moscow, and uh, and uh, Central Europe. And we have we have a team of around eighty five different writers and uh, and artists and photographers that uh, we work like on an ad hoc basis. So uh, with some of them we work with uh, regularly with every issue. With some of them just once or twice a year. And yeah, I I'm a big fan of keeping things like as lean and as small as possible without like we don't have any investors i don't have any like financially interested partners mm. in the company so we we can't afford to hire like 10 people for marketing or advertising or or content e- even though it would like help a lot but uh we're doing like one thing at a time so uh, but you know that feeling very well sure so uh is that frustrating what do you mean the, no uh, as as in as in to to some extent it doesn't have to because it's a choice but as you say like there's continuously when you start something the you know there's it's the reality of where you are now and yeah. the reality of, of where you wanted to be or, or where you want to be right yeah sometimes that takes time especially as you say okay maybe you want to do this really cool new feature and you need a staff of five extra mm-hmm. to work full-time on that to be able to do that but you can't do that mm-hmm. right or you're you're forced to do content or, or concepts that you feel could have been better they're still really good but they could have been better but right now we just can't afford to to do that extra little thing yeah i guess you always you always need to have like, to some extent this this feeling because once you come to a stage that you're happy and satisfied with all you do and you don't see any like any way that how we could improve like in that moment like you're done so we always has you always have to be like a little unhappy with uh, with the outcome and always try to try to improve even when 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 the other side when the reader or the or the partner or the customer they, they don't see the bag like they don't see the infrastructure they don't see the, the things in the bag and they're happy so we always just uh, have to keep improving but um yeah it's uh i think the word I recently read a really interesting piece on um, on the on the on, on expectations. How expectations can destroy a lot of marriages and relationships. Sure. That you expect that in five years you'll be doing this or that, or you expect that uh, when you go to World of Coffee in Amsterdam, you meet like these six super interesting people. You fixed eight different deals, or we go to all the parties and whatever. Yeah, you have these expectations that come naturally. You don't you don't think about them, you just somehow have them. And when the moment comes and the expectations the expectation does not equal the reality, you end up unhappy. Sure. And in marriages and relationships, well like I don't have any experiences to, to talk about, but uh, I guess it's very similar that uh, 
uh, you're at work, it's Friday afternoon, like you expect that your partner is, is at home making you a dinner and mm. welcoming you. But in the meantime, your partner is stuck with your kids at a school because of another problem. You, you get home tired, it's 10 p.m., you're hungry, there is no one there, the, the, the freezer is empty, and like the expectations that are made the reality, you end up unhappy, yeah. you, get, you get into a fight when your partner gets home. So this, this often happens in business, that you have these expectations. So I try to like, like limit all these expectations to zero and to focus on processes and the sure. work itself. And like, I don't, I don't think about like what will be the goal and what will be the outcome. I'll just focus on the, on the closest thing I have What's in, in front of, in you, front right of you and sure. just, I'm, I'll just do it and we'll see what comes. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I even asked answered your question I think yeah. that I think that's the perfect answer and I think it's, it's especially now since so world of coffee in Amsterdam that means world versus championships which means a bunch of people 56 I think this year competing at least 55 of them being in that exact same situation you have a bunch of expectations and some people they, they go into that com- uh, competition being okay I want to win I want to win the world championships but I'd expect that would take me five, six years. So if you go in and you don't win this year, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You learn something. Uh, you move on. Some people go in and say, I want to win the World Championship. I want to do it now. Mm-hmm. And you don't win. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That will crush you. Yeah. There's several other people competing this year that will never, ever enter a barista competition again. Yeah. Because it will crush them so hard that they couldn't live up to those expectations. Yeah. Right? It's very, very important, I think, as you say, to actually, you need to be very mindful of, of where you put that. I think, I think about that a lot as well as in, in running a company because yeah. there's really no reason to have them because you don't know. Because whenever you run a company, you do a product, there's a million factors you can never control. There's so many external pieces of, of what we do on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. that for you to rely on expectations which very often can lead to also excuses, right? Because oh, yeah. I expect this to happen oh, five yeah. years from now, so I don't really need to deal with whatever it is today yeah. because at five years, you know, I will have another... It's a classic, you're out of school, I don't really need to do anything now because that's all going to be fine when I'm, oh, yeah. you know, 30 or whatever. Or, and then you wake up, you're 30, and then you're fucked because yep. you, you weren't living up to the expectations you have. Um, on the subjects of expectation, and I'm not even sure if this is relevant, but let's go down this road anyway. Um, external expectations, as in like friends, family, colleagues, industry, looking at what you do, expecting stuff from you, both personally and as a company. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that something you think about? Is that something you relate to? Or is it something you just completely disregard and you don't think about it? Yeah, I I try to like not think about it at all. It's uh it's difficult with social media that when when you post images from you traveling somewhere, like when when your friends that you're not with on on daily basis when they see that oh well you're in Korea now you're in Japan you have to be so successful and uh, yeah this asshole like he's doing so well if even if it, like it's it's not true at all it just the the perception of uh, of of what you're doing can 
often be misleading to these people and that they tend to expect things that could not be possible. I yeah, I would yeah, I would love to turn out from social media completely if, if, I, if I could, but it's just such a strong part of the of the marketing strategy and, and the, the daily business that I just simply yeah. can't. Uh, but yeah, like I guess you have this you have these classic European expectations from, from the family that's well you're like at this age, at this age you start university, at this age you finish university, at this age you get a house, you get you get a partner, you get kids and so mm. on. It was difficult like for me to explain my, my grandmother what I actually do. Yeah, sure. she, yeah, she was like like every every couple of weeks she was asking me that. So like this book, like why are you doing this book for, for the seventh time? Like didn't the people already buy it? Yeah. Like well it's a it's a it's a periodical, like it comes out as a magazine, so it's always different. Ah. So you're doing the book the book again, right? <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> so it was it was hard to hard to explain and um the the expectations of what I will be doing were were a little different, but um, yeah. Mm. You you have a. To be fair, you're saying that you're focusing very much on the moment and and where you are now. But do you, do you have a kind of grand vision of what standard will become? Do you have a, like even even if if for a few seconds now, if you would reflect on okay, so five years from now, ten years from now, not as in a plan, but, but stand as a, uh, standard as a product, I want it to become this. Do you have a plan, or is that also a completely organic process? I do. Uh, it's probably not related to, uh, like, just to standard as a, as a print publication. Because I, like, right now, I'm, I'm in a stage that... At events like like World of Coffee or uh, or other coffee conferences, I I can get bored quite easily because I can see a lot of improvement, but not a lot of innovation. And when, when I was like dealing with the uh, with the tech and education speakers at, at TEDx, I, mm. I got to meet a lot of people from all these different exciting industries. And now it's like talking to 25 different roasters a day and everyone is showing you like this new Burundi and this new Kenyan or this new expensive Geisha. And it, th- those are all great coffees, but well, of course, I expect them to be great because yeah. I, I pay for them as a customer. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I just get bored with these conversations quite quite easily. So I, I, I was always, I, I kept thinking that if there was a way where we could push the, what we do so it's it, it brings like more value to the industry and uh, it's more exciting and, and, and bigger. And I do have a lot of lot of plans for the for the near future. I uh, I don't want to talk about things too soon because it's okay, uh, sure. it sounds as I'm just talking too much and all talk no action. But mm-hmm. uh, I do have some visions of uh, doing something that will that will connect people from the whole hospitality business not just uh, not just specialty coffee and to, to do something that uh, that will solve a few more problems than uh, than it's just just education or, uh, or learning so uh, yeah we'll see that that's a very cryptic answer but but we're looking forward yeah, to see what that will be in the future right <laughs> Me I, too. I, I can respect that yeah. um, 
on on the kind of subject of, of things that are not a magazine, you are the representative for SEA. I was just at, at, at your festival, yeah, basically, true. Um, which was very kind of you to invite me. It was a, it was a great time. Thanks for coming. Yeah, um, that's good. So, and you have also, that was, was that the no, second, third year you had an event? Second. So we, I was doing the, uh, the coffee festivals for the last four or five years. Four or five years, yeah. But uh, it's the first year I'm... I'm in the structure. I was I was elected for the events coordinator for SCA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what what is the what is the coffee fest for those of you that, or for the people that don't know, and why did you start? Yeah. So we 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 called it like standard coffee festival, and it was basically a like a small casual get together of people that we were friends with we wanted to uh, get to know in person with our subscribers with uh, with our customers with our readers uh, we wanted to uh, bring interesting content and to to drink coffee and uh, and listen to like to people that that shape the industry connect that with uh, like inspirational space and uh, with with cocktails because it's the conversations can get uh, interesting very quickly sure. when you when, when you drink gin tonics yeah. um uh, so the the idea was always to to do a small event that's that's curated. It's not a it's not an exhibition. You don't need to you don't have people waiting in lines, for like to get a sample of of coffee. So uh, with it this like all inclusive uh, ticket that like you pay for a ticket, you get a wristband and you you drink as much coffee as you want. You go to as many cuppings as you want. You can go to all the lectures and workshops or like everything everything you want to you want to do there mm. and with it like we, we combine it for the first time with the with the national competition for for SCA which was a interesting experience not not easy sure. but uh, good yeah. fun yeah it, it's never easy it's not the, there's always so many things yeah especially when you deal with with uh, with competitors i would say oh yeah yeah on the on the subject i'm curious because as you already said as well, you're traveling a lot, right? So, from at least from what I see, um, I'm very curious to hear your perspective on on the industry. Like you always, you already referenced that during these events, there's there's a lack of, of innovation. Um, to some extent, I would agree personally that this is probably the least inspiring industry in the world at the moment. And and, and I have never ever been inspired by anything in coffee. Which sounds hard. I've been inspired by gotcha. people in coffee. Uh, all of them are on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but but we're extremely um, bad at innovation. I think that's a very good way to put it. Uh, uh, what what do you see? Like, is this industry doomed, <laughs> or are we going to be able to to do something relevant and interesting also in the future? I think. An interesting development what was happening in the industry of the last two three years were the acquisitions of of companies like Intelligentsia or sure. Stemtown or the share at Blue Bottle, and that uh, the the moment of realization that uh, the the big players and the in venture capital realize that specialty coffee is a thing yeah. and is a is a business that they want to be a part of. 
it's difficult to say like what direction this will this will go and how it's going to look like at these particular companies and in, in 10 years from now but uh, when we talk about innovation uh, the reason I, I, I love being a part of coffee industry is that you have so many different people from different backgrounds that quit their jobs they were doing before yeah. and they opened like espresso bars they started to roast and they used to be lawyers, people working in finance, in, in tech, in education. Mm. And they, they bring these little, these different perspectives and these experiences to to coffee. And they just mix together. They, they, they mix it up. And uh, you have a very inspiring result from, from, these, from this mixture of people. And uh, I, I remember I was talking with, uh, with Michael Phillips the, um, from, from Blue Bottle the 2010 World Race Champion. Yeah. And uh, he said that like, the great thing that they're able to, to do at Blue Bottle these days is that they can, they can hire people that used to work at Tesla. They have people that worked at Apple. And imagine that you're a coffee roaster and you have people that were building electric cars or developing like iOS. It's, uh, it brings so many different perspectives and uh, could create things that you're not capable of even thinking of before mm. so uh, yeah so you, you still see some kind of you you see a future it, it will get better yeah well it needs to get better at the origin like at first yeah. uh, but with the like with the technology what uh with the price of smartphones, with the price of data, with the price of flights these days, where like you can get you can get a smartphone with a, with access to all the blogs and Instagram accounts mm. for a few bucks, where you can get a worldwide data plan for a few dollars a month. It's a lot easier for many people around the world to to have access to a lot of like to a source of a lot of knowledge and information. So uh, that will shape the the development like a lot of origin countries. I hope. Yeah. First of all, it's it's necessary to uh, to, to 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 have like the new generations of of the farmers and to convince them to stay in the coffee industry and not to quit and not to move to uh, outside of their countries or move to capitals to work in finance. I I I, I really remember. Uh, Klaus Thompson's talk at uh, at Colab in Paris sure. some time ago. Classic. You were there, right? Yeah. And it was one of my first coffee events I've I've ever been to, and I still remember the the thought he said that uh, in Colombia the the average age of a farmer is fifty six year old. Yeah. And when I've heard the number fifty six, like for for someone who's working like. 13, 14 hours a day, like, with their hands. Man, that's a lot. Sure. And uh, the amazing thing about the industry is, like, about the, the specialty coffee industry, that, uh, like, paying higher prices, like, for, for green coffee and uh, exchanging a lot of knowledge and information with the, with the farmers and, like, making the chain much much closer can can often not change lives of uh, of the farmers but but their grandchildren mm. so um yeah 
how do you do do you want standard to be a part of a positive change in the industry like do you I don't want to use the phrase political. I don't like that. Uh, should probably not be connected with coffee. That's a that's a different podcast for a different subject. Oh yeah, a different time. Oh, yeah. But it's that it's that. I think of, I think about that a lot with April. Whereas, um, I'm I'm actually having a presentation about that tomorrow, which is not going to be tomorrow for you oh. guys, but that doesn't matter. But what with the subject of of um, I think it's two two thirty. Good um, to know. Completely irrelevant for this, but good to know. Uh, the title. Terrible title um, that I spelled incorrectly. It doesn't matter. Uh, Does the world need another coffee roastery? Okay. So that's the title, right? And why do I have that title? I have that title because I need to personally, for myself, justify whether my coffee roastery should exist or not. Mm-hmm. For me, that can be a bit... That's, mm-hmm. that's not, it's not an easy question to answer, right? Mm-hmm. And part of justifying that... It should exist. I'm not saying it should. But my answer would be, well, yes, if it creates a positive development within the industry, you are, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to some extent when it comes to entrepreneurs in the coffee industry, whether they are mindful of the role the company has in the industry and whether that is that is important. So you just identify a, mm-hmm. a challenge. One of our biggest challenges is the green coffee origin the whole value chain to mm-hmm. be fair and do you want standard to be a part of trying to solve that problem or is that for for another company another time so i have i have two points of view on this or like two two takes so the first one we're not going to solve anything like we're not going to solve like the supply like the problems in supply chain like that's a that's a really that's a that's too too big of a vision for one single small company to do. Sure. We want to be a part of this change. We want we want to be a, an important part of this change. But what we could do as a as a print publication is to we want to be this this source of inspiration for um, for people to be more and more interested in working in coffee, and showing them that like especially coffee is is not a elitist thing to do. It's it's not rocket science. Like you can. You can join and be a part of the community very easily, and you can, can contribute. You can you can roast. You can make coffee. You can do whatever you want. So we want to inspire more and more people to uh, to visit, to pay attention to what coffee they're buying, to uh, to pay attention and uh, to appreciate the work of the baristas in the shops. Uh, to uh, yeah, so we we want to want to be the inspiration for people to to, to join the community and mm. to, so we all can benefit and mm. to, to bring their experiences from their fields of expertise. So that's the first that's the first part of like yes, we want to be a part of the change. Sure. And the second part is uh, completely irrelevant uh, to to coffee industry, and that's uh, that's the small business as a as an economic object in, in in a country that I believe as like as a country or as a European Union or any kind of like ge- geopolitical uh, combination of uh, of subject uh, I believe that small like uh, a healthy amount of healthy small businesses mm. is the only sustainable future. Mm. For 
is the only sustainable way to how to achieve like prosperous future as a sure. as a country as a, sure. as a as a government or as a society so we want to we want to like still have the company based in the country i'm from we want to pay the taxes we want to employ people and i think a combination of like 25 small businesses is much better than having a one large international corporation for like car manufacturing or smartphone production that's that has tax excuses from the government that has mm. uh, like so many benefits from uh, from from the government that it doesn't give anything back to uh, to the country it just looks good that like amazon is in, in slovakia or like porsche is making cars but uh, i i like being small business and i would love to see like more and more healthy small businesses uh, f- like for-profit companies, yeah. healthy for-profit companies, mm. uh, popping up and uh, and surviving and giving something back. Yeah, I, th- I think that's amazing. I think that's I totally agree with that. I think so, uh, and I think that's it's important both for for our industry and then in the industry at large. Unfortunately, it's, an, it's a negative trend. Mm-hmm. With that, whereas as most tiny companies are are not very well off or, or prosperous in that sense, right? But yeah. um, it's it's extremely important, I think, and, and relevant. Yeah. Before before we wrap up here, because we have been talking quite for a while. Oh wow. Um, the next issue of Standard is that where is that in the pipeline? Uh yeah, very shortly in two weeks from now. Cool. What can we? I'm wondering if this is launched before that. Probably not. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, what can we What can we expect from from that from the next issue? Yeah, we'll have again like another very interesting selection of, of different pieces. We uh, we had a perfect interview with Fleur Stud from Marketing Coffee cool. from Australia. Yeah, she's one of my like most inspiring coffee people. I I follow online. Uh, we'll have a great feature on on Athens, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I have done an interview with uh, for the for the for the meteor guest uh, for the meteor guest feature a few few weeks back, with um uh, one of the most famous type designers in the world. Okay. He's actually Slovakian. He's actually Slovakian. He lives in Netherlands. Yeah. Oh yeah, he lives not far away from from Amsterdam. And uh, he designed the font you're using inside, like okay. uh, all the fonts uh, we have. Sure. It, it's not a custom font. It would be just way too expensive. But uh, we had a he he drinks a lot of coffee in his free time. But uh, we had a good conversation about uh, publishing magazines and uh, how um, how how let how lettering and typography is is important for uh, human society. Okay. So uh, it's 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 again a mixture of, of of things like for the coffee geeks and but uh, but conversations like graphic design and typography that. Uh, uh, that you would have with someone over a cup of coffee in a coffee shop. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Really cool. Well, looking forward to read that. We'll most likely do that before thank this you. is launched. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Uh, I assume it, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not time to party, but something like that. It's a b- <laughs> bunch of events. So, uh, yeah, yeah. thank you. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you, too, for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, <laughs> From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.